This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is Sunday, June 11th, and this is the Economy Guy coming to you again this week. I've got five fun segments for you. The first one is called TINA. T-I-N-A. It's an acronym. Does anyone out there know what it means? And more importantly, do you know who originated this particular acronym? Uh, the second one will be the market summary. What happened this last week in all the markets. The third will be tidbits. I have quite a few fun stories on tidbits, uh, so that'll be, that'll be great. The fourth segment will be I'll bring you the first sell signal for stocks that has come out on, uh, you know, there are maybe a hundreds of different kinds of things that you can look at for looking for a sell signal, and they have not occurred because this market is just booming straight up, right? Well, the first one that just did occur, it's uh, an interesting one. I'll bring it to you, and we'll talk about it. And the fifth and last is a review of our six precursors to them market crash that really crashes, crashes way down. That's it. Well, for this, let's go to the first segment now and have some fun with Tina. Okay, Tina. First segment. Who guessed Margaret Thatcher? Raise your hand. Ah, there's a winner out there. Good. Excellent. Well, Margaret Thatcher did not create Tina. But she did say, there is no alternative. There is no alternative. There is no alternative. So many times that the British press made a mnemonic out of it, T-I-N-A, Tina. And it became quite popular in the times of uh, Margaret Thatcher. It has uh, taken over now in the current financial markets, and that's why I'm bringing it to your attention. There are many, many financial advisors that are saying, Tina, the markets can only go up. There is no alternative. Tina, Tina, Tina. That's what they're saying. It's dangerous to listen to them, but uh, worth knowing that they're saying it, that there is no alternative. And I understand that. I've been saying it a long way. The market's going up. I mean, the market looks good for going up, and it's still going up. I don't understand why it's going up. And, you know, the Fed's got its back, so why it would go up forever, ever. You go up to infinity. Tina. Uh, no. Anyway. That's what Tina is. It's, it's good to know that. Now, I'd like to just kind of change the subject over to financial planning. How many of you out there are planning on retiring someday? Oh, lots of hands. Excellent. Excellent. Good. It's good to do that. Or you can, you know, work on forever if that's what your love is. I, I also support that. And so how do you do financial, if you're a financial planner, how do you what do you do? What do you do? You look, well, you get some basic data, right? Like, what's the amount of starting money that the you or the person has to for retirement? And uh, what age do you want to retire at? And uh, 
uh, how long are you going to live? And that's a, you know it's a hard question to ask or answer, but you can use statistics for that. And uh, how many how many dollars per year are you going to put into savings and add to that nest egg that you have? And and from those kind of numbers and a few others, but from those numbers you can crank a little crank and outcomes the annual percentage return you need to make on your money in order to achieve your goal of the amount of money you need for retirement at that age. Okay, so the key thing is a percentage return. You need 5%, 7%, some huge number. Um, if, if you have $50,000, but you think you need $5 million to retire and you're going to do it in five years, you'll find out your the rate of return you need is astronomical, 25, 50% per year on whatever you're investing. Uh, but, you know, more conservative numbers are 5 to 7%. So worth, you know, get your hands around the numbers. What are reasonable numbers? Has the market uh, achieved more than that? If you just put all your money in the SP 500, does it go up more than 5 or so? Yeah, it has, but it's gone down too. It has. So, oh, and here's one of the key things for if you're using a financial advisor and he gives you all these numbers, <laughs> this, this is really funny, is the idea is that it takes so many years at a certain percentage to, you know, and money flow to get to the point where you will retire, which means you have a, a bundle, the, the correct bundle of money to retire. And then it goes on and says, and then you can spend something like 5% of that every year until you die and when because at that age you have nothing left so i mean that's part of the financial planning realize that's part of the financial planning that the financial planner is thinking you're going to spend some of that money you have until it's all gone and then you're going to die now so which is kind of uh, a shock what if you lived a, a year longer i mean you'd be living on poverty you'd have spent all your money or if you would you be disappointed if you died a year sooner well, ah, let's don't dwell on sad things like that. My personal opinion is that kind of planning is stupid. Uh, I personally like the planning that says you get to the amount of money you need in the future and you keep it. You keep it. You keep that growing and you spend some of it. Yeah, but you don't spend it to zero. You, you spend it such that the balance stays there. Hey, say it's, you know, I don't know, one, three, five million. Pick a number. Of dollar, and it stays at one, three, five, forever, and you're just taking a small amount to live on, uh, you know. But you can live quite comfortably on a small amount of a large number. So, so what is the the real the real plan? Is uh, you start now and you start growing your money. So, what's the the best way to exercise that plan? Well. It, Really, it's you need to be consistent in your returns, rather than having high fluctuations. You know, I'm going to have 20% this year, and 0% the next year, and 5% the following year, and 35%. Now, if you needed 5% every year, or say 7% every year, you want 7, 7, 7, 7, 7. That's consistency, or 7, 8, 6, 7, 8, 6, something close to 7. And uh, those are lower risk plans because high-risk plans fluctuate a lot more than lower-risk plans. So that's one thing, is consistency in your planning for that growth in percentage return. But more important than all of that is that under no circumstances ever 
during those years of growth do you ever want to have a loss. You never want to have a negative return. You don't want to lose money any year of that because making a loss up is extremely hard. Extremely. So you don't ever lose money. And that means you have to be risk averse somewhat because if you're risky, you can lose money. If you're risk averse, you can avoid to a large extent losing money. And therein is my advice for retirement planners out there. So remember Tina, no losses, but uh, the current market is not inevitably going up. Tina is not true. Don't believe it for the market going, going up. That's it for the first segment. And on to segment two, this is the market wrap. What happened this last week? Let's take the Dow Jones, the Dow 30. Ended 34,870. That's up about 90 points. That's not much of a move, is it? But it had a very realistic scare in the middle of the week, a massive down day, which was recovered as the week went on. Why did that massive down day happen? Well, it has all to do with fear. Very much fear. And it's wrapped up in the 10-year treasury, which is the next thing we will cover. The 10-year treasury ended at 1.356. It actually got down to 1.25 during the week, during that, uh, when the uh, fear hit the uh, Dow. And uh, the previous week was 1.43. So it's we're in a definite downtrend in interest rates right now. Why are we in a downtrend? Now, this is something that's got my attention big time. Big, big time, because this is not what I expected, but it's signaling something. Do not, do not deny what a market is doing. This is reality. The market interest rates are going down. Why? Well, the general thought that I've read is that the bond market and that stock market for that day, the realistic day of the crash, thought that indeed inflation was transitory, just like the Fed has been saying. It's going to go up and it's going to come back down. They're saying, hey, by the end of the year, it'll be less than 2%. That's That was the thought out there, and it seems to be the thought driving interest rates right now. Second, that not only will inflation be transitory, but also the huge market growth, the economic growth that we see in the United States is going to be transitory. It's going to be up now, but down in the future. And that down in the of a market growth really scared the stock market. And it clearly has continued to spook the bond market. This is a big deal. Uh, I'll talk more about the bond market as we go. Uh, but um, this is real. The bond market is signaling something here. Uh, Got to continue watching this real, with our eyes wide open. How about the uh, uh, in exchange rates, US dollar, basically flat. Uh, Dollar got a teeny bit weaker, basically no change during the week on exchange rates. Incidentally, though, I've always thought, you know, because the dollar's in a trough going up and down in a sideways trough, uh, that uh, when the, the U.S. dollar weakens, there, maybe there's a reaction by the other nations, like the European community or Japan, British, to weaken their currency because they really do not want to have a strong currency com compared to the dollar. They do not want to see a falling dollar. It hurts their economy. And 
I dug into that a little more this week, and indeed I found where that's exactly what the European Central Bank is doing. They are weakening their euro, coming up with policies like the Fed, that uh, are making their euro weaker. Kind of interesting, kind of interesting. So it's, there's some truth in what I was saying, since, since I found that. Oil at 74.60, down from 75.20. Uh, why did it go down? It hit 77. And, you know, that was a very inflationary. It's still very inflationary. There's a, there was a huge disagreement between the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Uh, the U.S. has intervened in that, and perhaps we have a peace deal. But those nations want a high, uh, a high uh, oil price. The U.S. wants a lower oil price. But so be it. Okay, how about gold? It was 1809, up 21 bucks on the week. Good for gold. Uh, cheer, cheer, cheer. It's now above 1800. Well, let's see what the future holds for gold. And I don't think it's telling us anything like the bond market is right now. On to the third segment. And on to segment three, the tidbits. Let's hit the tidbits. Let's hit the tidbit dilemma. The dilemma is the number of unemployment claims, people claiming unemployment, that's a weekly number every week, hit uh, 370,000 people this last week. 307, that's a large number. Now, now that's down significantly from the 1 million that where, where we started, right, in the middle of COVID when people were claiming unemployment. But it's a huge number, and it was unexpectedly high. It was a shock to the system because it was so high. Let's put 370,000 people per week in perspective before COVID in 2019. And COVID, the number was roughly 200,000 people a week. So this is close to double that number. Why that? And especially since we have job openings, the number of jobs that are available is huge right now. Massive number of jobs. And as an aside, does that mean we need stimulus to simulate the economy? I don't think so. But ignoring that detail also... Uh, the problem is that 14.2 million people are still getting uh, state or federal unemployment benefits, a lot of money. So this is money not to work. And I believe that's part of the problem. The um, Part of this deal is, is that uh, on September the 6th, those benefits stop. And so let's just think about it. I think people are pretty smart. I do. I really think a lot of people out there are really smart. And if you're if you're sitting there and uh, you're saying, hey, benefits are going to stop on the 6th, and there's going to be a big surge of people going back to work on the 6th. But today, and that's a long time from now, so they have, you know, they have a few weeks to plan this out, but I'm working today. How can I get a better paid job than I have? Well... And there's all those openings. Well, I'm going to sell myself to one of those openings and I'm going to quit this job. Perhaps that's what's going on. That may, perhaps that's why there's such a huge number of people quitting their jobs. They're just smart. They're increasing their own income. Uh, I praise that. I think people should be increasing their income. So be it. Okay, let's move on to another topic. Wells Fargo Bank, there's a good bank in the United States. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to stop having personal lines of credit to anyone. I mean, you, 
you in today you can go into a Wells Fargo and ask for a line of credit. They won't give it to you because they don't have it anymore. If you have a line of credit with Wells Fargo, they're going to take it away from you. That's right. They do not want any lines of credit in Wells Fargo. Ask yourself why. Are they shaky? What the hell's wrong with this bank? Uh, well, I just think they're greedy because lines of credit, that if you have one, you pay a much lower interest rate than a personal loan, for example. Say you took out a line of credit to uh, refurbish your house, put in a new kitchen. Big, big bucks, you know, $50,000 line of credit. And suddenly they take it away from you, and how do you pay? You don't have the money to pay, pay off the line of credit. So you take out a loan from the same bank at a higher interest rate. Uh, I think that's what's going on. Just a, just a guess on my part. Let's look at the used car prices. Have you seen the huge jump that happened within the last year of used car prices? Yeah, people wanted used cars, so the prices have gone up significantly. But this last month, on a month-over-month basis, the average used car price actually came down, but only 1.3%. So hardly any. It hardly came down at all. But And so the used car prices are still hugely high. But this, this change in trend of coming down rather than going up could mean that the peak of used car prices has, has now passed and that the future is downward. We'll see, if you're in, especially if you're in the market for a used car. That will be kind of interesting. You know that uh, the new car manufacturers were having trouble getting chips, you know, little computer chips to put in their car, so they couldn't sell their cars, so they raised the price of their cars, so new car prices went up. So if you new car prices go up, people will look to buy a used car, and the demand for used cars went up. Used prices went up, too. Uh, kind of interesting. Hopefully that chip problem will be going away within a year. That's a supply backlog problem and a supply chain problem. And so be it. And now for the fun tidbit. Let's have a fun one. This is all about Russia. They came up with, Putin came up with a brand new rule. Did you know that if you have a bubbly wine in Russia, the only wine where the label can use the word champagne has to be produced in Russia. Yes, that's right. That's a new rule, which means that the, you know, the great champagnes come from the Champagne region of France. So that, let me tell you, there's a lot of French that are upset because they, sold, they sell a lot of French wines to Russia. And this says they won't be able to. In fact, they're, they're kind of uh, upset about it. So they're threatening to not sell any to Russia. And then I'll poke myself in the eye because I don't like you. Uh, that sounds like what they're doing. But uh, I think they need to talk to them. It's, it's kind of interesting, don't you think, that the, the French are upset and they're making lots of noises, and the U EU is totally toothless. They can't do anything about it. Now, Russia does make its own champagne, uh, and it's made down in uh, like the Georgia area. That's not the United States. It's different Georgia. So the Georgia area, and uh, they that they call that Russian champagne, and and uh, Putin is bringing it to a new standard. Isn't that interesting? Okay, done with the third segment. Let's go on to the fourth. So on to segment four. 
This is the serious segment, and I'm going to talk about the 10-year Treasury note and what's happening to interest rates as they fall right now. And so what is the bond market trying to tell us? That's what this segment is all about. What is the bond market trying to tell us? First of all, you know that the Fed controls the short end of the interest rate. Short end mean duration of uh, like one day. It's the federal funds rate. It's instantaneous, and it affects things like the prime or the one-year rate or things like that. But the 10-year and the 30-year treasury bonds are really market-driven, not by the Fed, but by the market. That's true today. And this, so this fall in the market is being driven by the market. Now, what's that says that market investors, bond investors, are trying to tell us something. They're buying bonds for a reason. What are they trying to tell us? What are they thinking? What could they possibly be thinking? And what does this fall in interest rates mean for future inflation? That's Those are the questions that uh, need to be explored here, though. So what, what, what are they saying? Well, what... The only interpretation of a falling interest rate is that deflation is more probable in the future than inflation. In other words, this whole story of having a runaway inflation is a bunch of baloney. It is, it is, it's just not going to happen, according to the people buying bonds today. They're saying, no, no, it's going to be just the opposite. It's deflation, that the Fed is right, and we're putting our, putting our money where our mouth is, and that's what they say is coming. Kind of interesting, don't you think? You see, there was a buy signal in technical, you know, technical signs of buying bonds back in May of 2021. So not too long ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, roughly roughly two months ago, there was a buy that said buy bonds now. And that buy signal still on today, which means the future for technical purposes is still lowering interest rates. We'll really have to watch this closely, I think. How about the stock market? Stock market is still strong, still going up, setting new records. It's it looks as safe as you could be. All of the signals say it's a good place to be is in the stock market. The only question I'd ask is uh, for how long? You know, how long is that? And the first answer that I've ever seen ever, ever, ever now. So on this market with this long-term run-up in stock prices we've had since 2008 is we have now a, uh, a sign, the first signal of a, uh, a falling stock market is coming. And that signal, believe it or not, is, is a somewhat reliable signal. Some people follow it, but it's not the same as the ones that we follow. But, and so that, it's not that reliable. But it's, it is that the number of new stock offerings or IPOs is at a high. It's at a real high. When it's at a low, it's the stock market is going to go up. When it's at a high, the stock market's going to come down. It's frothy. It's another sign of frothiness. It's another sign of people taking risks. That's why you have lots of IPOs, because people are putting their IPOs out there, initial public offering. That's a, a new stock coming on the market. It's never existed before. People are doing that, and people like to gamble and hope that they go up the first day and they'll make a killing. And that's all a uh, uh, risky investment, and that uh, therefore is a sign of a market coming down. And but it's statistically shown that that's what does happen to markets. So that's the first sign of all the various market indicators that I watch that says, "Hey, 
the market's coming down in the future. This doesn't say when, but it does say it's coming down, and it and it this has just happened. So it, this indicator just happened. And with that, we'll move on to our own six precursors in section five. And on to the fifth section, our six precursors. Let's hit the first one. The 10-year Treasury bond. This is the one that's so interesting today. You know, at 1.356, we have a falling 10-year Treasury bond rate going down. We, the, we, a, a rising one is a precursor to a market crash, not a falling one. But we have a falling one here. And remember I said before, this is a sign that the future is holds deflation. Uh, kind of interesting. Um, you know, the, if you look at this, uh, the overpriced market, how does it resolve itself? There's two ways. It can inflate its price away. It can pay for the deficits and all that stuff by inflation. Or you can deflate your way away by bankrupting things and having bad debt. Those are the two ways. Well, the signal this week is that we're heading the other direction. We were heading toward the inflationary direction back in uh, March. Not that long ago, we had 1.75 and rising interest rates. We thought that was, and incidentally, that foretold the actual rising interest rate. It came ahead of the real rise. And it said, hey, we're going to go into an inflationary thing. And that's where I put my thoughts. And now we're getting the opposite sign that we're going into a deflationary. Very interesting. In either case, this is not one of our signs for a market crash. Something else will have to show it. How about high-yield bonds? Well, they just hit a new peak, and we're looking for a falling value in high-yield bonds. They had 9.13 this week. So, I mean, and, and it's starting to be a, something new with this indicator that I'm seeing, and that is we, I see variability uh, uh, from day to day. It's going up and down a little bit. Very different. Normally, it changes by one number in a week. Now, it, maybe it changes a number every day. So there's more... Um, activity in this value in, the, in this value don't know what that means but i can tell you it's got my attention any any change of any sort gets my attention and so uh, anyway it's saying the stock market today is safe 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 and uh, it's a place to have your money and no problem so uh, the third indicator is exchange rates and in, international exchange rates no change basically no change so no change means no change i'm looking for a falling exchange rate, which would cause inflation. In fact, we're getting the opposite signal right now. It'd be interesting to see what effect the bond market will have on the exchange rate of the U.S. dollar as we go forward. I predicted that there will be some, because uh, before I thought we'd see a falling dollar with a rising interest rate, but I'm going to see maybe see the opposite. That's kind of interesting. The uh, consumer price index is the fourth, in, fourth indicator. We haven't had a new one since May's 5%. What's going to be June? Is it going to be a huge high number like it was before? Remember the uh, when I said that people are predicting a lower inflation rate, they said by the end of the year, and we're just waiting for June's number. That's the middle of the year. So this number could be anything and still not mean anything. So, And anyway, I was going to wait for another three months to really say inflation was wildly out of there, and we're just not there yet. We need a lot more time. Hmm. The fifth indicator, a change in the Fed policy, the Federal the Federal Reserve's policy. And uh, they don't haven't changed anything. I mean, they're doing a lot of talk, 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 talk. Talk is cheap. They're talking. But 
they're not changing their policy. They're not doing anything. So, but keep your ears open as what they do do, because if they do change something, it could be meaningful. The sixth and last one is uh, any event that happens anywhere on earth that could affect the market. And there was nothing, 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 nothing. Even though Lebanon is in an economic crisis, the worst of this, uh, the last hundred years, uh, just throw that out there to get your interest. Uh, it's not enough to knock any markets off their perch. And with that, I wish you a great, great week coming up. Uh, make lots of money. Have lots of fun. Uh, love everyone you meet. Be talking to you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners. Music